What is up, everyone? Um, like I've said online, uh, we will be no guests today. Just me taking your questions. Um, I am hanging out with some friends at an undisclosed location in the state of New Mexico. But we're taking some time to talk the latest on the NBA offseason. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the opening preamble here. Um, just to me, I, I did a lot of reporting yesterday on the Donovan Mitchell, New York uh, trade negotiations. Um, and then I didn't end up writing because, honestly, pretty much everything I was told I saw was already kind of written um, with Andy Larson um, and Tony Jones at The Athletic, who if you're a jazz fan and you're not following those two guys, you are missing out all the info they've been bringing all off season. They, they've really done a tremendous job. Shout out to my friend, Sarah Todd as well. Desert news. Um, I did not get to see her reporting yesterday, but what, what Andy and Tony have said is, is definitely aligned with what I've got so far, but I will, I'm going I'm to open today's show with a, a little, a little preamble of, of what I heard because um, it was, it was Tuesday. It was Wednesday morning. Um, I had it confirmed that the Knicks and the Jazz had gotten into, I was told, quote, serious discussions um, from someone high-ranking uh, with New York about Donovan. Um, but what I've been told all along is that the Utah Jazz is just pretty much identical to Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. Um, they are not you know, motivated to move Donovan. They are not shopping Donovan, but they are definitely listening. And they are going to hold an exorbitant asking price in order to ultimately part ways with their franchise cornerstone and their three-time all-star who still has four years left on their contract. Um, it's, it's a bit of a different situation than Kevin Durant, being that he's obviously you know, far more historically of a superior player but also that he's 34 and has an extensive injury history at this point in his career um, or in, in the later, the later part of his career. And I, I do think that in theory could lead to a bit of a greater haul for Donovan from a team like New York. I don't think Miami, for example, uh, would, would be willing to pay more for Donovan than they would for Kevin Durant. But I do think that there is a scenario that, if this Donovan New York deal ends up coming to fruition and happening, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, as I wrote, I believe it was uh, for Wednesday um, at, at Bleacher Report. I can't keep the, the day straight now of all the time zones and the traveling I've been doing. Um, and Vegas, as my friend Trister Kick listening is very aware, uh, can just kind of uh, dull your mind from day to day when you're in the stands over and over and over again. Um, but at a certain point, like if Don, I mean, to get to the specifics, you know, I saw some reporting that the Jazz have asked for New York for more than six round, six first round picks. I was told directly that they asked for seven in their opening negotiation. Um, that there was, um, you know, that all of R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, Miles McBride, Cameron have all been discussed, um, and you know. With or without RJ, the, the salary matching will be difficult um, if he's not included. You know, there's one GM I talked to on Thursday afternoon who said to me that there's no way he would trade Donovan Mitchell to New York without getting RJ Hampton or RJ Hampton, RJ Barrett back, excuse me, um, just for the sheer asset play. Um, but there is definitely overwhelming intel, I would say, from around the league that the Jazz don't want to take back any long-term salary and they don't necessarily want to bring on a player that's going to be due for a massive contract extension coming up. Um, so whether or not he's in the deal remains to be seen because, you know, from this one GM I spoke to, he said, you know, you get him back and you can flip him anyhow. That, that, that's an underrated aspect of the massive haul that the Jazz got back for Rudy Gobert. The Patrick Beverly's, of the world, the Malik Beasley's. Um, I mean, the Jazz can move on from those guys too and get even more back from their hall. So in the same light, there are definitely a lot of executives who would want R.J. Barrett back 
just for that same, you know, resale value for a lack of a better expression. Um, but if he's, if he's not involved, which again, that's the Intel has been pretty clear that they do not necessarily want to take back RJ Barrett and have to pay him upcoming. And, and the word on the street is definitely that both Barrett and Tyler Hero are looking for maximum contract extensions, which as they should. I and mean, that, that's how the NBA world works. When you are a free agent, you try to seek the most you, you can demand. I mean, that's how I think, you know, anyone in a position without a contract who, who has suitors should honestly be uh, obliged to conduct their business. Um, but if he's not there, and it is a, it does end up being kind of like a collection of young talent from Obi or Quickly or McBride or Cam or whoever's actually involved, um, I do think that the salary that that's, that's come back the most to me of a veteran that would be the missing piece to bridge the gap between Donovan's, you know, 30 plus million dollar salary and the rest of those young guys. It would not be Julius Randle. It doesn't seem likely to be Evan Fournier. It does seem to be that Derek Rose and the fact that he has just one year left guaranteed at 14 and a half million for this season. Um, and then a team option in 23, 24, it does seem like Rose would be the preferred veteran salary piece from the jazz side of things in order to match Donovan's salary. So we're going to see how the rest of this unfolds. Obviously, it's pretty tied to the Durant side of things. I would think, you know, I know that I know that Brooklyn at least inquired in the early stages of Durant's trade request in the days following that and Rudy Gobert's deal to Utah. I know that Brooklyn inquired to see if he was available, and they were told then that Donovan was not. Obviously, things have changed now, and I, I you know. Trading for Royce O'Neal would seem to be a nice first step if the if the Nets do want to ultimately try to figure something out there, because I mean DeAndre Ayton sweepstakes like we will get into with the questions I'm sure, you know, and, and him sweepstakes is the wrong expression, but his free agency and him ultimately getting the offer sheet from Indiana, the Suns matching it, he no longer is eligible to be traded until January 15th and can't be traded for a full year without his consent. I mean that's a massive hit to the Suns. Uh, ultimate opportunity or, or, or desire to trade for Kevin Durant being that I just don't believe um, from what I've told, but from what I've been told that the sun's best offer that they put on the table right now, um, is, which is going to be their best offer uh, at least for the time being that, that the nets don't have great interest uh, in it. I don't, I don't believe they have great interest in any offer that they've gotten and the talk of them being ready to go back into training camp with Kevin Durant and the roster, you know, teams can look at that as a bluff, but it definitely does seem to be real. And I think we could be in a continued holding pattern here as long as the Knicks and the Jazz don't ultimately come to an agreement. But it does not seem like those talks are you know, on the one-yard line by any stretch. I think they really gained momentum and got serious Tuesday, Wednesday, um, maybe even into Thursday. But at this point in time, um, I, I think – I think both Utah and New York are at least projecting a confidence to other teams and other people around the league that they will get a deal done at some point. I mean, the, the Knicks are armed with more picks really than any team that has stuff um, that Utah would be interested outside of, you know, Oklahoma City. And I don't think OKC is really splurging to go get someone right now with where they're at in their rebuild. So um, we'll, we'll see if the Jazz can use this as an opportunity to get a better offer from Miami or other potential teams looming out there. You know, the GM I, sp- I spoke to um, the other day said that he was afraid of certain teams that we haven't heard, you know, coming out of the woodwork and making the big offer because of the impact player Donald Mitchell is. But so far, we really have only heard Miami and New York there. Um, and with KD, we've only really heard Miami and Phoenix and Toronto. Um, you know, there's another team out there that has been in conversations, but I don't really have clearance to say that team. Um, but I, I have clearance to say that uh, I, it just doesn't seem like any real deal is going to happen anytime soon. Um, but, you know, we're here for the next 40-ish minutes to just take your questions and talk through it all to, to see if I can provide any more specific context for you guys. We've got over 500 people in here already, so thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you want to ask a question, you got to make an account um, here on the call and app to do so. When you do, you can subscribe to the show and get push notifications and updates on, on when we're going live and all that. So um, for now, we will start off things with Nate. Nate, how you doing? Good, how you doing? 
I'm hanging in, man. <laughs> I feel on? it. I feel it. Um, so I know you're probably getting the same questions over and over again about the whole Donovan Mitchell and Knicks thing. But um, I just was wondering, do you get the feeling that the Knicks have made their final offer and are just waiting for Utah to accept? Or do you think both sides are still actively negotiating back and forth? Um, I don't know if this is going to be a continued, like, back and forth, day-to-day type deal. It doesn't sound like they're on the phone nonstop hashing out the final particulars. I, I, I was told that they had serious discussions on specifics and their encounters and stuff like that. And it does seem like this was an initial feeling out stage and both teams kind of have an understanding of where each team values the other pieces on the other team's side of things and what the other team's goals are. Um, and it's kind of a matter of time here and a bit of a waiting game and maybe even a bit of a staring contest. Perfect. Thank you. And then uh, one more thing. Do you think the longer it takes, does it hurt the Knicks' odds of getting Donovan Mitchell more? So, like, a team like Miami can find that third team to join them with a trade to get more picks? Um, thank you, Nia. I'm going to move on to the next caller. I don't think time – I think fans like to like to focus on the – the, the leverage game and try to figure out clues as to who has the leverage and who does it. Like, yes, that's probably something I should have said in the preamble here. Like I have been told from multiple people that Miami is trying to go find multiple picks to go either send to the, uh, a Utah for Donovan or to send to Brooklyn for Kevin Durant. Does the Knicks waiting and not upping their offer or not meeting the Jazz's asking price you know, sacrifice their odds to go get him and it'll give Miami more time. Not really, because Miami's trying to compete with what the New York ultimate offer could be. So I, and I think the way these deals work, like back at the trade deadline before Karis LeVert finally went to Cleveland, you know, Indy called Dallas and they called New York to see one last time, you know, was there a deal on the table before the Port- Portland moved CJ McCollum to New Orleans, they called New York and they called Atlanta to see if, you know, they had, you know, a better offer to get made. Like, no, no deal is going to get done without a team and getting an opportunity and a team like New York to, to match or even surpass the offer. So the longer it goes on, I don't think that decreases any team's real chances of getting, uh, of getting it. But I think it would increase someone, yes, like Miami, to have the assets at least to, to make a deal happen. Um, Ethan, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Can't complain. Glad to hear it. Thanks for having me on. Hope you're enjoying New Mexico. Um, so at the beginning of free agency, there was that initial rush of deals. Uh, and then it kind of seemed like the entire market, both trade and free agency-wise, was held up by the Kevin Durant stuff. But this week, we've seen the Aiton stuff go down and then the movement on Mitchell. Do you think that you know, like some more of these, I'd say, minor deals for role players might start happening now? Or do you think it's still kind of a holding pattern? Maybe it's just not going to happen at all. And I'm specifically asking with the Sixers annual, because uh, we have 16 roster players, including Parton, even though he's not technically signed. Do you think there might be like a two-for-one, three-for-one trade kind of in the work zone? Yeah, I, th- I think to, to say that the holding pattern is over, I, I would think that's probably fair outside of the Toronto, you know, Phoenix, Utah, Brooklyn, Miami vortex. But like, yeah, I think my, like I said, I think Miami is definitely looking to find deals to get future picks. Um, but you know, we saw Austin Rivers sign a minimum deal, and we saw somebody else, I'm blanking, uh, sign a contract. I don't like. Now there, there just aren't a lot of teams with cash space left. I mean, Colin Sexton's probably the biggest name out there that um, we kind of need to see resolved. And, and I talked to someone with Indy today who said that he didn't want the team to make that move, and that he was hoping that there would be more of like a salary dumping type situation. Um, you know, I, I, another thought in terms of like the holding pattern, like Russell Westbrook could be somewhat tied up by the Donovan, Kevin Durant stuff. I mean, if Mitchell is ultimately moved to New York, I have heard this is not something to be uh, of the title of the show. You know, please don't aggregate this. I, I, I'm not saying this has been discussed, but there has definitely been a lot of conversation around the league from team executives about if the Jazz do move on from Mitchell, and let's say they've got a total of you know 11 first-round picks now from Rudy Gobert and from uh, the Mitchell deal, and they're purely in a full, full, full rebuild, would that then 
entice the Jazz to be in a position where they would take back Russell Westbrook for a pick or two and send out Beverly and other salary back to the Lakers as he has been very much mentioned to me as a Lakers target. Um, would that be something that's possible? Maybe. Again, I have not heard those conversations have happened, but it's definitely a topic that's picked up steam around the league this week. So that's maybe the one you know big ticket item that I think is probably being held up by this stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much. You got it. All right, we're going to go to Greg. Greg, what's going on? Greg, you're on mute, my friend. All right, Greg is no longer with us. Joe, how we doing? Good. How are you doing? Cannot complain. What's going on? All right. Now I get to talk about the stuff that people are really interested in. <laughs> Old minimum centers. Yeah. Hassan Whiteside, Cousins, Tristan Thompson, Dwight Howard are all just sitting there. And are is anyone going to pick them up? Are any of them going to retire? <laughs> it just seems kind of weird. All these big names are just – there's no talk about any of those four. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, I mean, look, at a certain point, like, Boogie Boogie is, is on a 10-day type situation now. That's just kind of where he's at. And I think the one team that really wanted to give him an opportunity when they did last year was Denver. Um, so, I mean, it's not totally surprising to me that he's um, still where he's at. Whiteside is a bit surprising to me, being that he was pretty successful with the Jazz last season. And I think – the people I've spoken with in, in Utah, they were honestly pleasantly surprised by how well he, he performed for them. Um, obviously, the, the the interpersonal intel has been there for a while about him. Um, and, and Dwight, I think, was kind of a bit of a disaster um, from a professional standpoint uh, his last couple of years. I mean, maybe that's part of it. Um, but I think also... Like there, there's now the the mid tier group of guys like the Isaiah Hartensteins, the Mo Bambas, Chris Boucher, Neurons Noel. Mm-hmm. Those guys just seem to have such a higher value right now compared to you know guys who are pretty well well beyond their prime at this point. All right, sounds good. It, it just it. Start, stands a stark contract of DeAndre Jordan, who was signed 30 minutes into free agency by Denver. But, for sure. For all right. Sure. I mean, DeAndre DeAndre was arguably the worst defensive player in the entire NBA last year, right? Um, so, but to be fair, DeAndre is someone who's very, very, very valued as a locker room presence. Um, and I okay. do think at, at, at this stage of these guys' careers, the off court and in the locker room stuff is just as valuable as what they can bring on the court. All right. Thanks. You got it. Okay. Matt, how are we doing, Matt? Matt, are you with us? Yeah. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? You're good. Yeah. How are we doing? All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to mix things up a little and bring up some KD stuff. Uh, okay. The Net- <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Nets seem to have been kind of putting out little hints that they're pivoting towards running it back. And you mentioned that it does seem kind of credible. Uh, it might be leverage or it might be the actual plan, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, the one thing that there hasn't really been any clarification on, to my knowledge, has been the communication between Kevin Durant and Sean Marks. To your knowledge, has there been anything direct between those two since this process started? Because prior to the trade request, it had been since the Celtics series that the two of them, it was reported anyway, that the two of them had spoken. The trade request itself was directly from Ace Kleinman to uh, Joe Sy. So I was wondering if that feels like a domino that has to fall, if they're going to ever actually do that and and actually pivot towards running it back. So uh, I just want to ask about that, if there's been any, any movement in that regard. I have not heard there's been any movement in that regard. Um, and as I said previously on the, the show, I don't think it's necessarily a big deal. Like, there's a lot – like, I don't know this to, to be true, but I wouldn't be surprised if Donovan Mitchell hasn't spoken to Danny Age or Justin Zanuck in the last couple of weeks. Like, this is that's a big reason why a lot of these players – are paying agents – I mean, why all these players are paying agents to, you know, take up a lot of their salary, which, like, Kevin Durant doesn't need an agent to negotiate his contract, right? Like, a lot of – you have a representative to represent you and to have these conversations on your behalf. Um, so, I mean, look, like, it's just it's, – it's, it's not comfortable necessarily to have these difficult conversations. And it's a lot easier when you have someone do it – for you. So I don't think that's necessarily 
something that we need to really be reading into too, too much. Um, but in, in the aspect of us being a leverage thing, like I think it's both a leverage thing, but also the truth. Like if a team brought an offer to Brooklyn, like let's say Toronto brought a, a, a Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, and three first round picks offered to Brooklyn. I think Kevin Durant would have already been traded right now, but they, by all indications, they haven't even remotely brought a deal that has piqued Brooklyn's interest. I have reported previously that it does not seem like Toronto has even remotely entertained the idea of parting with Scotty Barnes right now. Or even if it's not a Scotty Barnes thing, even if it was a Pascal Siakam, OG, whatever, whatever, whatever it may be, no team from Toronto to Phoenix to other teams that have checked in, Miami, what, what have you. Um, no, just, I've been told very clearly no team has met the Nets asking price yet. And until they do, I mean, shit, they don't want to trade Kevin Durant anyhow. If they think there's an opportunity for him to come back, for Kyrie to come back, for these, these players who have traditionally changed their minds, right? Kevin Durant was all in on Golden State until he wasn't. And Kyrie Irving was going out publicly and saying, I'll, I'll be back in Boston if you'll have me, until he wasn't. So um, I, I think ultimately they're hoping that if, if even if a trade that met their asking price came by, they're hoping Kevin Durant comes back and they win games and all is punky dory and PG and they all move forward together and win a championship. Like that, I, I definitely do believe that that is the truth of what the Nets are hoping to, to occur. Okay, we're going to go to Sean. Jake, how are you, sir? I am doing well. I love uh, doing can, uh, Over the past 12 to 18 months, congratulations to you on all the success and appreciate the hard work. It's uh, it's great to see you getting the uh, definitely the recognition and success you're getting. So just wanted to tell you congrats on that. Thank you, Sean. That means a lot. I wanted to ask, um, so just as being someone that covers the Grizzlies, a fan of the Grizzlies as well, so obviously the Grizzlies are a, a team that would make sense to potentially be in the mix. Maybe for, you know, Durant would be perfect for the Grizzlies like he would be for you know 28 other teams, obviously. But we're in a small market with what the Nets are asking for. Probably doesn't necessarily make sense for us to trade um, what it would take to get Durant. So I'm asking more in it maybe hard to answer this, but kind of what a team like the Grizzlies who, who probably could use a bit of an upgrade. Um, if you're hearing anything on them, to me, it would make sense where they could possibly be the third team and could go get, you know, not a star, but, you know, an, another veteran that could be in, uh, in one of these Donovan Mitchell or um, Kevin Durant trades. Or, or do you think that they're once Durant and the Mitchell dominoes fall, could there be other significant names, you know, just in general, you know, about the Grizzlies and just what their mentality could be if they are looking to add. So thank you, Sean. The Grizzlies are a team that since February, I've been told from other team executives, look out for Memphis. They've got a bunch of space this, this summer, or they had a bunch of space this summer. And this is their last real opportunity before extensions kick in with Jaron Jackson, not to pay John at all. I'll get a very pricey, expensive bill very, very soon. This is their last chance to add a big ticket item. And every time I call people in Memphis, they would say, they're right that this that, that is what the situation is, but we don't really have any plans to do a dramatic shakeup here. The Grizzlies, I mean, that could be just a, a company line too, but what I've heard from other people on the league who know Sean, uh, uh, Zach Lyman and um, other leadership figures in Memphis, like, well, they all agree that, the Grizzlies are not really looking like they clearly value continuity and building something organically and not wanting to fuck it up. And I don't think they're going to make a big swing unless they really truly believe that that is the swing that's going to push them into the parental title conversation for good for the next, you know, however many years with John Brandt and Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain um, as, as part of their core. Um, I know they told teams all on the draft that those three guys were untouchable. So Outside of that, you know, I really don't see, you know, a major move coming from, from Memphis here anytime soon. I really don't. Uh, David, what's going on? Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Um, just curious about, um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of uh, different commentators kind of talk about the Mitchell to New York thing as a almost as an inevitability. Uh, Mark Stein just said that he also believes that this will eventually happen. Do you get the feeling that other... Uh, maybe decision makers or executives across the league are kind of um, seeing this as almost, you know, like a done deal, just kind of waiting to happen. Um, it seems like this is obviously trending in that direction, but kind of what, what sense do you get a around just kind of 
um, the seriousness of any other options, I guess. I think to sum this up pretty quickly, I think the teams that are actually involved and the teams that are actually trying to go get Donovan Mitchell are looking at, at this as an inevitability that he'll get to New York. But I think the teams that are, that are involved and the teams that are hoping to get Donovan, they're looking at New York as merely the price and the benchmark that you have to hit in order to outbid and get Donovan. So I think that's the clearest way to handicap where the market currently stands right now. My guy, Charlie Saturday, what's going on? Jake, good to be on with you, my dude. I just, uh, I got to throw you the same question I just asked the OG, Mr. Mark Stein. Um, Why are you doing double dip here? I'm double dipping on a Friday, got to. Um, So you're fresh from Vegas where the whole league is converging. I'm curious, who are your favorite people to listen to talk shit about their adversaries? Like, like hold court, they've got a bone to pick, maybe go on a little bit of a rant. Like who are the league's best shit talkers in your opinion? Um, the league's best shit talkers are coaches because they, I mean, they really need to believe in what they believe in in order to, to you know, assemble their rotation and kind of put their job on the line. Uh, every single night. And for every reason, I find coaches to be the most opinionated on the quality of players. Because when you get into the front office, like it gets it gets checkered and convoluted with how good is someone versus what their value is, right? Guys on the, on the operation side look at everything through that slant as what they're worth monetarily and what they're worth in the trade market. Coaches only care about – like I, was, I put together a big dinner on a Friday night in Vegas. It was a 12-person dinner at the back of this – uh, Chinese restaurant, and uh, I try to put together a big dinner every year, and it's it's a, it's a mix of coaches and front office personnel. And this year, we had a couple agent people in there too. Um, and you know, we got into a, a pretty heated debate about how good the Lakers signing of Lonnie Walker was to their tax pyramid level compared to other theoretical options that were out there. And we were one half of the table was mostly front office and agent side, and they were talking about. The value, the value, the value. And the coaches wanted to talk about, you know, how good a player is he. And I think the debate on the numerical side of things, the analytical side of things is mostly about, like, what's the smartest, you know, opinion versus the coaches just, like, want to tell you what, whether you're right or wrong or what they believe to be right or wrong. So I guess that's kind of my my rambling answer for you. No, that's a great answer. And just a quick follow-up. Um Coaches, they they put such a uh, united front out to the public, like they're always backing each other up if one loses a job. Behind the scenes, do coaches uh, are they like this guy sucks, or do they like keep, or are they like as united, you know, uh, off off camera as they are on camera? Um, thank you, Charlie. As always, um, I'll say this: that the coaching fraternity is both a double edged sword, and that yes, everyone that I know on the coaching side of things is pretty much rooting for all their other fellow coaches to be successful and to be treated well, especially in this current era where the player empowerment era and the player movement era has dramatically shifted the power both in uh, favor of them, obviously, in terms of their agency to create change in the overall NBA ecosystem. But because of that, it's put executives on thinner ice and on more eggshells as they walk around their facilities because they don't want to do anything to piss off that player because they don't want the player to request a trade like Kevin Durant or to leave in free agency um, like DeAndre Ayton was definitely trying to do. So in that regard, like the coaches have become kind of the, the whipping boys in that aspect of like, well, if something isn't going wrong, you fire the coach before you trade the player. If there's a disagreement between your coach, like, you know, I mean, I think Kenny Atkinson would still be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted him to be, right? So I think coaches do support their fellow brethren in that regard. But at the same time, I got a lot of coaches whispering to me and whispering to other people around the, around the league behind the scenes about potential jobs that are going to be open. You know, some people even rooting for certain guys to get fired. So that, that creates an opening for either them to get it or you know, lower-level coaches are rooting for – their guy, you know, their head coaching candidates are going to get that job. So when, you know, hypothetically Steve Clifford gets hired in Charlotte, you know, hopefully Cliff will take me with him. Like that's definitely a thing that happens too. 
So it's it's a it's a convoluted space to say the least. All right, Jonathan, what's going on? Jonathan, are you with us? You're on mute. All right, we gotta skip Jonathan for time. Chris, before we get to you, I'm gonna just run through the comments really quickly. I'm gonna reload the comments here. Got a lot of comments today. Trista says RFA is disgusting. There are a lot of people who would agree and think that's a very outdated situation. Ainge is trading Mitchell to the Knicks is just a matter of price, in my opinion. Says Mark to smile if we talked about that. It does seem like that is the clear, obvious uh, leader in the clubhouse right now. Ainge will get more picks in the Rudy trade from Ram 11. That is certainly the Utah's goal, and I do not think they will move him for anything below more picks than Rudy Gobert at this point after hearing what they're asking prices have been with New York. Um, is it hard to get sources in Miami? People keep asking that. I mean, there's other people in Miami that I know and I'm friendly with. I'll say that. Um, but they are definitely a, a difficult franchise to understand what their real goals are. But at the same time, I end up, you end up hearing a lot about, about Miami because they're an active team. If you're an active team, when you call an agent to talk about a deal or potentially acquiring their player via trade, or you talk to another team about contacting them for trade, those other teams and those agents can also talk to me and other people as well. So info's always out there, to say the least. Um, the Knicks are going to massively overpay for Donovan just to be a first-round exit. I mean, that's from C.J. Pronk. Like, the Knicks need to go get a star. They, that's, that's, that's been their organizational goal from the time being that Leon Rose took over. I, is it really an overpay if three of the picks you're sending out you got for the number 11 pick this year and you can kind of look at it instead as, like, the number 11 pick plus three first-round picks, you know, et cetera? I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be an overpay, being that also, like, to get Jalen Brunson down on Mitchell, you know, would be a pretty massive win for a franchise that has just been lacking true, true star power ever since, you know, Carmelo kind of fell off his, uh, his wagon there. Um, all right, we're going to go back to the calls and we'll dip back into the comments later, but this is an audio platform and uh, we, we encourage you all to make accounts and to call in and talk to me now, like Chris is about to do. Chris, what's going on? Hey Jake, thanks for taking my question. Um, so, so I'll I'll deviate from the KD stuff and everything, but I'm in Charlotte. Um, I'm gonna put the Miles Bridges stuff to the side because I feel like that's super fraught and tough yes, to to talk about. That. You know, separate the basketball from the, you know, what what has allegedly happened there. But is there anything else they can get involved with this off season? Because I think people in Charlotte are, I mean, I think they're happy they retained Cody Martin. I think they're happy with Mark Williams, but. It's hard to look at the East and see a path for them above like the eighth or the ninth spot right now. Look, it's going to be it's going to be pretty difficult for the Jazz to or to the Jazz, excuse me, for the Hornets to ultimately um, surpass uh, what they were last year. I mean, that that's that's going it's going to be a challenge regardless. Um, it's going to be a challenge for Steve Clifford, the challenge for the front office. Um, I mean, they are armed with more draft capital now after their draft night trade with getting, you know, a future first and uh, four seconds for that whole Jalen Duren thing. Um, but at this point, I think the only real things I've heard going on in Charlotte are that they've got like a third point guard spot that they're looking at. That's kind of the really only tangible data point that I've heard legitimately and I can, and I can bring to you today, unfortunately, outside of the Miles Bridges stuff, which he's got a court date on July 20th. Uh, we'll find out more then, but um, the Hornets had until July 13th to, to waive his qualifying offer, and they did not, uh, from my understanding. So, at this point in time, like Miles Bridges, like he can pick up that qualifying offer whenever he does want, and he will be back in Charlotte if he does so. Um, but that'd be a one-year thing before he gets into unrestricted free agency next year, and that opens up a whole can of worms. But that's all I'll say for now: is that July 20th is the court date. We'll see what happens then. Um, and the, the deadline it was Wednesday to um, pull his qualifying offer came and went, and he is still uh, that is still there. So that's all I really can say about that for now. Jason, what's going on? Jason, are you there? You're on mute, Jason. All right, we're going to a Pacers question, I assume, from Tyler. What's going on, Tyler? Hey, Jake. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I just have a question. Um, I was listening to Windhorse's podcast earlier this morning and he had stated that Indiana could possibly just didn't really want to sign Aiton to the max contract or didn't, or they wanted to offer it to him, but um, they could have made it a lot more difficult. 
for Phoenix to match it. Um, and he said since they didn't make it that difficult, it just sounded like there was a possibility of them not really uh, like wanting Aiton. And then that's my first question. My second question is um, with that cap space, um, what do you see them possibly doing? Yeah. I I don't want to say that I don't believe the Pacers actually wanted Aiton because I think I don't, I don't know from entire like I, I really just haven't talked to enough people to say like this is definitely what the Pacers were trying to do. But my read on it being that I know and have heard that the Pacers did call Phoenix and say, you know, what about a sign and trade deal of Miles Turner? To me, it seemed like the pa- the Pacers want to move on from Miles Turner or have interest in moving on from Miles Turner because he I mean, as I said this time and again on the show, if you want to start to kind of figure out how things are going to happen in the NBA, follow the money. Look at – it's the same reason – it's not the same reason, but it's a big reason why DeJounte Murray got moved to Atlanta. When you're about to expire in the next year or you're – even, you know, when you're already starting to get wind, like KCP, part of him moving on out of Washington was not only because he has trade value, um, but because he wanted an extension coming up too. Like DeJounte would have been in a similar situation um, – to Jalen Brunson this year in Dallas, where the Spurs wouldn't have been able to give him, based off of cap complications, they wouldn't have been able to give DeJounte the max he wanted. He would have absolutely become an unrestricted free agent, and they would have gotten a max for someone, and the Spurs didn't think he was that, that quality of player, so they move him on. With Miles Turner, bring us back to Indy, like, he's going to want a, a lucrative deal next summer, and it doesn't seem like the Pacers really want to pay him that right now. I do think they, want, they wanted to... to kind of swap him out for DeAndre Ayton. Um, but clearly they weren't, you know, fully, fully, fully dying to get DeAndre Ayton. They didn't want to make everything. I mean, unless they did, and it was just a shortcoming of the front office. That's also a possibility too. However, the Pacers hired uh, an executive from the league office who is one of the more respected in the league in terms of cap stuff. Like if they wanted to make it super, super tricky and, and do something that would have hamstrung the, the Suns, um, I, th- I think they definitely could have. They would have had the personalities to do it. So we'll see. I- I'd love to pick some more brains of people there as the offseason unfolds. But I'm like pseudo on vacation. I'm not really trying to bother too many people right now. Um, so, I-, I mean, that's really all the info I got for you on that one. Uh, Eric, what's going on? Oh, Eric dropped out of the queue. Greg, you're back. Greg, you're on mute. Can you hear me now? Now I hear you. What's going on? Man, I'm driving across the country. My phone fell under my seat when you called me up before, so I apologize. <laughs> it's all good, man. How can I help? I have two wonderings that you could maybe speak to both or neither or whichever, and I'll try to get them quick because you got a lot of callers in. One, I'm curious with the Knicks, if, if Danny is requesting six first-round picks for Donovan, my wondering is from a team-building perspective, you know, Atlanta got DeJounte for three firsts. Would you rather have two DeJantes in theory or one Donovan? I don't know. At some point, the, the amount of picks gets kind of silly. So that that's one thing lingering out there for me. The other one is the Clippers are one of the favorites for now, one of the betting favorites for next year. Their rotation it seems crazy to me. They're not going to be able to play, like, for example, Covington, Morris, and Batum enough minutes. They're not going to be able to play Norm Powell, Kennard, Terrence Mann enough minutes. Is there a consolidation trade potentially looming out there? Have you heard scuttlebutt about, like, them trying to find a center, a center upgrade? I don't know. It, that one seems odd to me because it doesn't seem like a finished product. Yeah, the Clippers could be a team that goes and gets one of those minimum big men that's, that's still being out there that we talked about um, earlier. Um, I mean, in terms of the price for Mitchell versus DeJounte, I see what you're saying, Greg, but, like, that just – there are no there are no two DeJounte Murrays on the trade market, right? Like these guys just come up when they're available and they come and they they get they get the return for their team that ultimately their that team's executives were able to negotiate for. Like David Griffin got a hell of a lot more from the Lakers uh that he probably should have when he traded Anthony Davis being that there are no other teams really that, that were thoroughly negotiating because A D was threatening so much to just go to the Lakers in free agency anyway. Um, so, I mean, and the Spurs weren't able to get more for Kawhi because they just weren't being that everyone was believing that. So like David Griffin objectively did a better job. The Pelicans did a better job 
at getting a return for Anthony Davis and Spurs did for Kawhi. Kawhi is a better player than Anthony Davis. So I think that's really what this comes down to. Like deals kind of have to be looked at with precedent or to see correctly, like how the value plays out and like historically on the NBA marketplace, but deals get done because of the leverage at play in the moment and what's best on the table at that time for that player and what those executives can ultimately negotiate up and, and ultimately get back. That's really what these prices ultimately come down to more than anything about the marketplace of things. Cause you know, maybe DeJounte Murray wouldn't have gone for that much if Atlanta wasn't that gung ho about getting him. Maybe, you know, DeJounte would have just gone for two for a Trump pick somewhere else. So it's, it's really hard to, to make it so apples to oranges like that. Uh, Noke, how are we doing? Oh, no, wait, I bumped Noke. Noke, come back up here after I take Kyle and I'll get you on here. I'm really sorry about that. Kyle, what's going on? Jake, how's it going, buddy? Can't complain. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, uh, so I know that there's like this holding pattern because of uh, Donovan Mitchell and the you know Brooklyn situation. Has there been any updates on, I think a week ago, somebody mentioned the Kings were involved in a zillion different trade talks. I know they got a guy, a small guy today. Actually, he's a pretty tall guy, but they got a, a decent uh, defender from Miami today. But any updates on any trade talks going on with those guys, like with Barnes and or Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes, et cetera? I don't have any specific updates to give you, Kyle, unfortunately. All I do know is that um, they're going to be looking to upgrade their roster from now until the trade deadline to, to, to optimize this unit around De'Aaron Fox, Keegan Murray, Don, uh, 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 Kevin Herter, um, and DeMontis Sabonis. Um, I mean, and, and they like to leave Monk a lot off the bench. So Harrison Barnes, in theory, could be you know, a fifth starter there or what have you. Uh, you know, super six man type guy, but I think they are um, ultimately, you know, trying to make this roster better to get into the postseason. Rashawn Holmes is his name. I think they'll continue to listen on, listen on, and talk about. But I don't have any specifics, unfortunately. Now, Noke, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Uh, <clears throat> wanted to talk back about uh, Katie, and you mentioned earlier it kind of sounded like you knew what the Suns offer was on the table. And for me, from reading just tea leaves, it kind of seems like the Suns are very content on sitting on their hands and they haven't put what their best available offer is, whether that gets the job done, different question. But it kind of seems like they're saying, okay, you can have Mikhail Bridges and some picks, or you can have no Mikhail Bridges and all the picks. Is that an appropriate reading of the situation? All I'll say, and thanks for the question, though, because a lot of the details that I've gotten on the Brooklyn stuff was, was in a hazy, off-the-record environment. Um, but the Suns, what I'll be able to say is the Suns just don't have the, the best the, – the player package that the Suns can put together in their best offer. That still wouldn't really you know, get Brooklyn excited about losing Kevin Durant. So um, you know, something like – you know, Donovan Mitchell or the talks we talked about with Toronto, them figuring out a package that brings them back an all-star caliber player. That, that's the, they, they want a legitimate all-star caliber guy. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, you know, and all the picks. It doesn't do that for them. If that is Brooklyn or Phoenix's, you know, ultimate best offer. Um, so it just, I think, you know, I've reported all along that the Nets are not too excited about Ayton. So, like a three team, like even a three team deal that could have happened between Indy and Phoenix, where players from the the, the Pacers would have gone to Phoenix. Like it, it just, it would have needed to be more and more complicated to find fourth team, maybe a, maybe even a fifth team to just get the pieces back that the Nets are going to need to move Kevin Durant, still apparently in his prime, still a top five player, excuse me, player uh, in the NBA. So uh, that's like pretty much all I can say on that. Brennan, then we're going to go to AJ and ADSN um, and SFONDR. And uh, that's all we got time for today, unfortunately. So everyone else in the queue, I don't want to leave you waiting and hoping. I got to run and get back to a bit of a vacation here. But Brennan, what's going on? Yeah, uh, have you heard anything about the market on players like Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell? I have not. And, and look, Montrezl's situation is a little bit different. Um, 
as uh, people who have followed my offseason closely are aware of. Uh, I, I don't necessarily hold anything against people who partake in extracurriculars when it comes to uh, cannabis products. However, uh, you got arrested for a pretty large amount. And uh, I don't know the specifics, but that's just obviously something that's, I mean, I, it's something that was talked about multiple, among multiple people I spoke with um, in Vegas about how his arrest is not helping matters with Dennis. Um, I think it's more about a, that's also like, you know, an off court personality type locker room chemistry type thing. But I think Dennis Schroeder will eventually be signed somewhere. Like that is, I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. AJ, how are we doing? Good, man. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Um, you got it. Obviously, I got to, I got to ask, um, you know, one, is there anything new as far as Laker rumblings go? Uh, two, there are a couple reports, uh, obviously, today uh, that, you know, ultimately the whole KD situation, he, he kind of holds the cards on, I guess, the future with Kyrie on being on the team. Like, how, how tied is Kyrie to KD if KD ultimately ends up going back to the Nets? Um, well, yeah, I guess we could stop there. Well, you got it, AJ. The only thing new about the Lakers that I said earlier, which, again, I'm not reporting these discussions have happened, but if Mitchell is ultimately moved and the Jazz are just kind of a wasteland of young picks or young players and draft picks, there has been increasing talk around the league about teams wondering if the Jazz would be a potential landing spot for the Lakers to send Russell Westbrook or they could potentially get Patrick Beverly and other salary back. I'm not saying that's been discussed. I'm not saying it's even likely to happen. But in theory, if the Jazz in this rebuild who just want picks can get you know, one or two picks from the Lakers to get an expiring contract and buy Russell Westbrook out, it seems like a scenario people around the league believe to at least be plausible. That's new. I'm not saying it's going to happen or will happen or it could happen, but it's something people are at least starting to talk about, which I did not hear about, you know, last week. Um, and then to the KD Kyrie thing, ultimately Kyrie's trade situation, I don't think, I really do not believe there's any team in the league who's looking to give up assets, significant assets, to go get Kyrie Irving outside the Los Angeles Lakers. And the only assets that they're offering are future picks that who knows what they are, with Russell Westbrook's aspiring deal. And the Nets do not want to take on Westbrook for many reasons, but the most obvious one on the table is it's going to be a $50 million tax hit. And I don't think Josiah and the Nets want to pay $50 million just to hand Kyrie Irving to the Lakers to put Russell Westbrook in a potentially combustible situation with KD just for a couple of draft picks. The Nets want to contend. So at this point in time, like I think Kyrie is recognized – from the reporting that's out there and from my conversations with people on the league, it seems pretty clear Kyrie is accepting the fact that he is overwhelmingly likely to be back in Brooklyn, being that the trade marker for him is not there. And to connect to KD, I mean, he's one of Kevin Durant's closest friends. Kyrie Irving being back in Brooklyn ostensibly would be a feather in the Nets cap in order to try and keep Kevin Durant long-term. So that's kind of where things stand. Uh, as fun there, as fun DR. If I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, please correct me. You're, you're the last caller of the day. How might I be of help? Hey, Jay, can you hear me? I got you. Uh, yeah, you actually killed the pronunciation. Good job. Um, appreciate you, by the way, doing this, especially since you're on vacation and whatnot. Um, look, my, my question is more Raptors-centric. Uh, obviously, they've been rumored when it comes to their involvement in the Kevin Durant talks. But have you heard anything else? Do you know if they're really just honed in on the KD situation or, you know, are they kind of cool going with the roster as it is? Uh, I know Tim McMahon uh, reported last night on the low post that there might be some talks involving Boyan Bogdanovich, but just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Boyan makes sense. Um, and thank you very much for the question. Um, I mean, the Jazz are looking at to the trade value of everyone. And I do believe before the Gobert deal, there was some talk um, between Utah and uh, Toronto about Gary Trent coming back to the Jazz um, and other deals with 
Bogdanovich and, and Royce O'Neal and what have you. So there's definitely potential for Toronto to make a smaller move on the margins and be content with where they're at. Because, look, if Kevin Durant didn't request a trade, the Raptors would be very, very, very excited about bringing back this group and seeing what, you know, this next iteration, this next generation of this current Raptors post-Kawhi, post-Kyle Lowry effort could become. So um, I think they will still definitely be looking from now until the trade deadline to upgrade this group around the Scotty Barnes, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, Ojan Anobi, Pascal Siakam, Precious Achua, you know, situation. I do think they were, as I reported time and again, and I'll poke at Raptors fans here. I mean, I definitely think they were open to moving Ojan Anobi uh, this year, but clearly there was not a deal that, that came to the table for them that, that was ultimately worth that pardon. Um, and in regards to Kevin Durant, I mean, there's multiple teams I've talked to who are looking at the Durant situation and saying this is like the Kawhi situation back in 2018. And the Spurs thought they were going to get all this stuff. And they really just got DeMar and Yaka Pertle in a first, which is you know, probably roughly about, you know, four first-round picks, maybe, you know, five first-round picks, depending on how much you value Yaka Pertle now. But back then, he probably wasn't worth two. I think he probably was worth just one, maybe, you know, one and a half or, you know, whatever. But so that wasn't nearly the return that the Jazz got for Rudy Gobert. It's not nearly the return that the Nets are uh, asking for for Kevin Durant. So, you know, I, I do believe that Toronto is of the teams that are saying, look, like, well, we don't have to trade for Kevin Rand either. So we're, we're only going to be willing to discuss X amount in order to make that deal happen. And until they are willing to inch closer to the Nets asking price, I just don't see it. But I have said all along, and I will still say today, if the, if the Raptors really did want to, they are the team that could easily be in the front of the entire pack to go Kevin Durant, to go get Kevin Durant. If they wanted to, to just go all in and put the pieces on the table, a deal could get, gun, could, could, could get done tomorrow. But by all indications I've gotten, that has not even remotely been in reality. And pretty much all talks between Brooklyn and, and other teams have been, it seems to me, pretty far away. So we will see how it all unfolds. Uh, I know a lot of team executives are, like, getting ready to go on vacation and stuff. So – I, I don't know outside of the Donovan New York stuff or the Donovan overall stuff. I don't think we're going to see a giant firework here coming up anytime soon unless someone wakes up one day and says, fuck it, I want to push my chips on the table and get it done. But until that happens, I think we're going to be continuing to have um, some conversations like today uh, with just kind of assessing what's on the table and, and, and exploring what avenues could happen. But you never know. The 24-hour news cycle is what it is. The league's always moving. And, you know, we'll be back next week and hopefully we'll have something juicy to talk about. Um, until then, have a good weekend, everyone. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you sometime in the near future.